So just a, a little Dan Deckard trivia here. Um, I realized I haven't told many people this particular story. It just kind of came out when I, I saw a um, picture of a movie. Uh, back in the mid-'80s, you know, I, I saw this movie, and movies have a way of kind of catalyzing you in your, in your late teens. And um, this movie starred Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis. Anybody know what it is? <laughs> Top Gun, right? Um, so I walked into the theater, and I watched the movie, and it just, it just kind of wowed me. It's like, man, it's such a, I mean, adrenaline and excitement of these you know, fighter pilots, and you got, you know, Iceman and Goose and Maverick, and I came out of that theater knowing exactly what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> I, I'm, this is an t- absolutely true story. I, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a fighter pilot after seeing that movie? Back then, it was like cutting-edge cinematography. Now, it's my, my, my kids would probably say, I don't want to watch that movie. That's cheesy. But for me, it was a catalyzing moment for me, and so that's what I wanted to do. Sounds silly to say now, um, but that's, that's, that was my dream. That was my plan. The problem is that by the time I graduated high school, I was so sick and tired of school that I, I knew I wasn't ready for college. And unfortunately, you have to have a college degree to go on to flight school and all that stuff. So I, I, I had this plan. I didn't want to go to school, so I decided I would enlist because there was this, this program called the MESEP program. You know, everything in the military is like acronyms, right? Which stands for, let's see if I can remember this, Marine Corps, the M is the Marine Corps part, Marine Corps uh, Enlisted Commissioning Education Program. So listen to this. You enlist, and it doesn't make a difference what your job is, but you enlist, and if you meet all the requirements, they will send you to college. They will pay for your college. Then they will pay you while you're in college, which is like, that is the sweetest deal you can possibly imagine, and now that I have a girl in college, that's just a really cool deal, <laughs> right? I mean, to send you, pay you, and pay your way, and then at the end, they would commission you, and you know, if you meet all the requirements, go to flight school, and then I could be Maverick. That was, that was my plan. It was perfectly laid out. I had, it was logical. I thought I had the capacity to do it, and I, I, I said it before my parents. My parents were big on college. It's like, you're going to college, Dan. You're going to college, Dan, but I wasn't ready, so I I wove college in, like I can do this, and then I get to be maverick. So that dream, just like a year, year and a half after I, I enlisted, came to a grinding, screeching halt when I realized that I don't like to fly. <laughs> Anybody in here who's flown with me knows that is the absolute truth. And to put like the nail in the coffin, we took this, I forget how long it took, but we flew our crew, our platoon, we, we flew from Ripon, Wisconsin to Camp Pendleton in a C-130 with like two little windows and the smell of hydraulic fluid everywhere, and I got sick. It was this, you know, you have those engines that are prop, four prop engines, and sometimes they'd be in tune, you know, they have a particular tone, and they go, and then sometimes it's like, they're all out of tune, drove me nuts. So... After that, my dream was in ruins, just completely, utterly in ruins. Now, let me ask you a question, those of you who have lived beyond 30. How many of you are now living out your late teens, early 20 dream? Awesome. There's just two of you. How many of you, like, you're way off course from where you set off. Yeah, see? Oh, come on. There's way more of you than that. Almost everybody that I know 
Like started in one place and ended up in a place completely different. My wife was a music education major and now she doesn't do it at all. Just ended up in a different place than you started. And that's, that's, that's kind of life, right? That's just how it works. It's like you, it kind of unfolds before you. Rarely is it a, a linear point A to point B straight line. It's like more of a, a winding road that we take. Sometimes it's a detour. Uh, sometimes in the road we hit a, you know, a cul-de-sac, dead-end street, and we have to turn around and go back and wonder what, what was that about. At other times in your life, you feel like you circled back to where you began. It's like, I've been here before. Sometimes, you know, the path takes you to wonderful places. And I think for the believer, it really always takes you to wonderful places. We just don't always recognize it. I would never change the destruction of that dream in my life as I looked at how the Lord has led me. And, and um, so it was a good thing. But there are other things that inter, um, like interrupt our journey that are painful, that to just kind of alter the course, and you don't expect them, you don't see them coming, nevertheless, they, they happen. Things like uh, an injury, or a diagnosis, or a termination from a job, uh, or a death. Like those things just kind of come out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, all reality is altered, and your road is, is sent in a different direction. And that, that just is how life is, and, and we experience that day in and day out. It's, it's, it, it feels uncertain. At times it feels haphazard. Um, it feels, can feel random. And um, things can come into your life that you're like, wait, how does that really work? And um, especially when it's not the pleasurable times but more the painful times, we can find ourselves walking this road going, all right, Lord, I, I wouldn't have steered the, the wheel this way, but you did. And I'm questioning whether or not it's wise that you did. Sometimes it's just questioning whether or not our lives even matter. Like in the, the, the micro plans that we have, like a single day, how many of you accomplish all of the things that you plan to do? <laughs> you know, I, I think of a young mom waking up in the morning with a list of things to do, laundry, feed the kids, you know, take kids to school, bring them home from school, do, maybe do some kind of a work and then fix dinner and so forth, only to find that in the middle of the morning two kids get sick, they throw up, and she spends the rest of her day mopping up vomit and taking care of children to get to the end and go, man, I didn't get anything accomplished. And life can just kind of feel futile at times. So given just the uncertain nature of this path, like how do we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, how do we proceed with confidence and purpose? How do we proceed with confidence and purpose in the middle of all that? Well, I believe that um, Paul's words here in Philippians chapter 1 give us an answer. It's not the entire answer, but an answer to which I want to point you. He gives information about his own life, what's happening to him. And in it is his own perception about it. Now, he doesn't tell us in these verses... um, simply information to convey information. He always has like a pastoral intent when he writes. He wants us to draft in his wake. He wants us to learn from his own example. So that's why he puts them here, these verses. So what I want to show you and point out to you in these verses, uh, 12 through 26, is a fruitful providence. That's point one. And also um, a life goal, like a comprehensive life goal, those two things, a fruitful providence and a comprehensive life goal. To start with, let me just 
tell you that Paul, like us, was a planner. Uh, it's a good thing to have plans. He had a number of, went on a number of missionary journeys that required complicated arrangements for travel on ship and by land. So he had to plan. We also know from Romans chapter 15 that Paul had aspirations and plans to go to Spain, maybe even Portugal. So he had these, these plans and aspirations like, like we all do. Now, whether Paul ever made it to Spain and whether he ever realized his dream of taking the gospel that far is a matter of some debate. However, while his aspirations and dreams may have been for Spain, what we find in this letter is that he is in prison. That's, that's, the, that's the context from which he writes this letter. Um, prison. He's, he's confined. His freedoms have been stripped away. Now, what I'm about to say is probably self-evident. It goes without saying, but it's, it's good just to think about in terms of how one sees their own fruitfulness. Like, prison is not a desirable place. It's not a destination you want to take a vacation on. It's a place you want to avoid at all costs, right? But it's a place where if you find yourself, you can easily feel benched. You know, like a football player, bench, you're not playing the game, or sidelined, or put on the shelf. It's at this point, Paul's in, in prison, his, his, his freedoms have been stripped, and he could have easily dissolved into a puddle of self-pity, thinking, you know, Eeyore's always, always comes to mind, well, what does it matter? Like, I was made to be a missionary. I was made to travel. I was made to take the gospel all the way to Spain, and now I am. My wings are clipped. And he could have wallowed in a, in a pool of self-pity, but he doesn't because he sees things differently, and he wants us to see things differently. So look at this. This is We're going to call this a fruitful providence. He says to his readers and to us, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to, the, to, to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Instead of wallowing in a sense of self-pity, his wings are clipped or feeling benched, he's like, good stuff's going on. Like, there's fruit happening from my imprisonment. Two fruits in particular. He tells us that, that because of my imprisonment, like, the gospel is going forward to the entire Praetorian Guard or the Imperial Guard. The soldiers are hearing about Jesus because I am limited. I'm in prison. In other words, it's fruitful for me to be here. God's doing something in the hearts of those who are walking by my cell. Let me, uh, it doesn't take much to imagine soldiers or guards. So if I may enter into character, two Roman guards speaking to each other at the, at a, at the water cooler. Well, I guess they didn't have water coolers back then, but you get the idea. And they're talking to each other. Mark, that's me. And Hector. Man, there's this really strange guy down on cell block D that his name's Paul. Like, 
Apparently, he's really famous. Like he's, he's, he's traveled over 10,000 miles, and people know his name everywhere. But I've walked by his cell, and that guy's kind of weird. Uh, I mean, he sings. And he prays. Like, who sings in prison? Prison isn't a place to sing, unless it's a lament or a dirge. But he's singing, and there's songs of joy. I don't understand that. And he's praying. And he, I hear him praying for churches, and I hear him praying for individuals. And one time I heard him... He used my name. He was praying for me. And like, who prays for the person who's keeping the, someone in prison? That doesn't make any sense to me. But apparently he stirs up trouble everywhere he goes because he preaches about this dude named Jesus who apparently in Jerusalem, he, he, he was crucified. And I, he was crucified by some of our brothers. Like, I've served with some of them down in Carthage. And they say he was crucified. And that he rose again on the third day, and some of my friends told me that's true, 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 too. He's, that's, that's who he's preaching about. And he tells us that if we embrace this Jesus by faith, that his death washes away all of our sins, and his life guarantees life beyond death. And I gotta tell you, Hector, when I heard the message, and I heard the witness of some of our brothers, our fellow soldiers, something in me stirred. Because as a soldier, I, I know the things that I have done wrong. And I feel guilty. And I know I'm lost. There's something to this message. Out of character. Whatever the conversations that happened in that prison, God was doing amazing things. Amazing things. You can't keep a true Christian from bearing fruit not even behind bars. The second fruit that comes up, it's not just the unbelievers that are hearing the gospel that can rescue a man's soul, change and transform him forever, but it has an impact on, on the churches too. You know, for, verse 14, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. In other words, the instrumental means by which they have become more confident is my imprisonment and my, my suffering. They're much more bold to speak the word without fear. So now they're, they're getting courage, and they're starting to be bold with the word. So the word's still going out. In other words, a mission's still happening. I am still doing missions from behind bars. You see? He sees things differently than we do. He's, he's seeing things through, through the eyes of, of providence, that, that God has me here, and while he has me here, it's for a purpose, and that purpose is to bear fruit, even if it's in a desert-like context where I have, you've lost freedoms. Like, Paul was saturated in the Old Testament. He knew well enough about the truth that um, a man makes plans in his heart, Proverbs 69, but the Lord establishes his steps. Paul's plans of his heart were to go to Spain, and those were good plans. But the Lord established Paul's path his footsteps in prison. I mean, he is the apostle, probably above all other New Testament writers, who's the most explicit about the absolute, exhaustive sovereignty of God in all things, that all things work together for good to those who are called and to those who love God. Or, that's Romans 8, and then Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, it says uh, that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. So with that mindset, he understands the time I'm here has been determined. I'm supposed to be here. 
That is to look at your situation through the eyes of providence. And this is a fruitful providence. And, and for the Christian, providence will move you and bear fruit wherever you are, whether it's in a, in a forest of lush water and fruit or whether it's in the desert where everything's dry as a bone. I mean, that's providence. It's recognizing that God, this is providence, orchestrates everything. From galaxies down to molecules, from storms down to sparrows, everything according to the counsel of his will, his wisdom, and his good purposes. Everything. And he does so without ever alleviating or obviating our need to respond and make choices that are right. But he understands at this moment, this is where I'm supposed to be. That's seeing your context through the eyes of providence. Providence always wins, and for the Christian, it's always good, even though sometimes it may not feel that way. And he has you there for the specific purpose of bearing fruit. We're to see our context the same way Paul sees his own and describes it to us. Everyone in here is from a slightly different context. You've experienced different things, and right now some of you are in highs, others in lows. Some are recovering from a divorce that you did not make happen. Others have lost people. Others are in a context of a vocation where you have a boss or people that you work with who are very, very difficult. And because of that, where you're at's hard. The wrong thing to do would come to the conclusion that, God, you made a mistake. The right thing to do is recognize, all right, God, you have me here. How can I serve you? How can I honor you? in the context, because that's, I mean, this is horrible context, but look, he's looking out and going, stuff's happening. This is, this is amazing. That's looking at things differently. That's, that's where the confidence, that's, that's a principle of Christian living, is recognizing God doesn't make mistakes, that he has you where he wants you. And if you really believe that, what that frees you up to do is to embrace the here and the now. You can embrace the here and the now instead of wishing it away. Can you imagine every conversation, every meeting with somebody, every event in your life has design to it? You may not know what that design is. You may never, not, never know what that design is. But every molecule dances according to the beat of what God wants to do. And to recognize that, to live in that, and to embrace the moment and serve him where you're at. That's a, a, a powerful, powerful truth to believe Providence, you're supposed to be here. Now, let me answer a question because someone might say, well, I'm in a horrible situation. Should I not be praying to be relieved of this? Like, I don't want to be in this bad work environment. Is it wrong to pray that God removes me from it? Absolutely not. I think you'd be dumb not to. <laughs> I mean, Paul talks about in one of the Corinthian letters, I think it's 2 Corinthians, he talks about a thorn that's been placed in his side that God has put there. It's like, it's not a literal thorn, it's figurative. Something is in his life that's really painful. And he prays, he prays three times. <laughs> can you get the thorn out of my flesh? Like, you can make things a little bit more comfortable for me. And God says, no. Because you'd be too proud if I didn't keep that thorn there, so I'm going to keep it there so you'll stay humble. That is, I have a good purpose in it. So God said, no. Even our Lord himself, you know, on the night he was betrayed, right? He prays, he prays three times, Lord, let this cup of suffering, the crucifixion, let it pass from me. And in effect, God says no. So 
It's not wrong to pray for deliverance or removal or a transfer. But if the Lord says no, you have to resolve in your heart, I'm going to serve you here regardless. So that's the, that's the first part. That's, that's, that's our confidence. This is like seeing your predicament as, an, as a place where fruit can be born. Which leads to the second part. Because the first part really doesn't happen unless you have the proper like, goal of life. In terms of the fruitfulness part, anyway. Providence will always win, but whether it's fruitful or not. In terms of Christian success, it's different. Verse 20. And actually, let me just read that point too. It's like, this is the comprehensive goal of life. He sums it all up with to live as Christ, right? But now let's read the paragraph. He says, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, and this is the famous quote, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He's facing kind of an unknown situation. He's uncertain. Am I going to live? Am I going to die? Like, there's a trial pending. He's incarcerated. There's a trial pending in which he will either be let loose or he will be executed. And since he's a Roman citizen, execution probably means getting your, your head chopped off. I mean, the way I read this is he just doesn't know, which I shall choose. I don't know. Now he suspects, if you read verse 25, he suspects that he's going to be released because there's a lot more work to do. So he's reasonably, relatively confident that maybe he'll be released. But he's not afraid of death. Like, if it's, if it's death, so be it. I don't, I, I, actually, if I, my preference, I'd rather go be with the Lord. As I said last week, he, he wasn't afraid of death. Maybe he was afraid of the process of death. I am. <laughs> Who wants to get their head chopped off? No, no one that I know. But what's on the other side is wonderful. And you can tell. That's his, his earnest desires to depart. I want to be with Christ. Which is, that's the best thing in life. He wasn't afraid of it. But if he's supposed to live, on the other hand, what, what does he do? Well, he says to live is Christ. That's a simple way of saying, like, Christ, in his life, Christ flavors everything, colors everything, governs everything, saturates everything. The person, the work, the word of Jesus is, is just like, it's like in every part of who he is. You couldn't talk to him for five minutes without knowing that he's a Christian. It's the passion of his heart. And why, why would somebody do that? Well, because... Like, all of the greatest anticipations the greatest treasures of the Old Testament. Like when David says, Psalm 36, your steadfast love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens and your faithfulness to the skies and your righteousness are like the mountains of God and your justice like the great deep. They were grasping at the biggest structures they could see, comparing them to the character of God. But there's something bigger than the skies, and bigger than the clouds, and, and mightier than the mountains, and deeper than the deepest trenches. The love that stretches beyond the heavens is seen and experienced in Jesus. The faithfulness that reaches to the clouds is seen in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, where God makes all things right for those who believe. You want to see righteousness like the mountains of God? Look at the righteousness of Jesus displayed in Christ. 
if you want to know judgment that go deep, then we look at the cross. He is the sum and he is the fullness of everything there is. So Paul would say, why, why, why to live as Christ? Well, this is just everything for me. He's better than life itself, which is why I'd rather depart and go be with him. He discovered somebody of, of, of infinite worth. And as a result, it's all about him now. And he's telling us this not to put himself in a category by himself, like a super apostle or super Christian. He's basically telling us, listen, this is how you're supposed to live too. You're to live by the motto to live. If I'm going to live here on this earth in the flesh, I am going to be about Jesus. I'm going to be about Christ. What does that look like? Well, from this passage, I think at least it means at least three things, like to, to live as Christ. One we've already looked at in the verses on the previous screen. It means that you have a passion for the advancement of the gospel, even when it means you suffer. Right? Isn't that what he said? He's in this context. He's, his wings have been clipped. His freedoms have been taken. Nevertheless, he's like, I'm excited. Like, the gospel's still going forward. Like, do we as a church, do we as individual Christians, do we, do we have this passion for seeing the message of Jesus that is so powerful go into neighborhoods and, and into neighbors' houses and, and over into other nations to say, we want to see the power of God work in the hearts of men through this message. Is that something that we're passionate about? Because that's part of what it means to live as Christ. And if not, that we ought to start praying, Lord, re-energize my passion for the gospel going forward. Another thing that to live as Christ means is, is we honor Jesus. Like, in my body, whether in life or death. It's, it's ultimately, it's not your reputation that matters. It's the re reputation of Christ. So if I'm going to live, I'm going to live in such a way that, that people are, honor him, honor Jesus. Not me, but him. And if I have to die, I'm going to die in such a way that, that I honor him. The way Jesus honored his father when he gave his life, I offer my life in honor of Jesus. I, I do it for him. Like, it's his name that matters, not my own. That's someone who has a genuine passion for the honor and glory of Jesus going forward. And the third one, of course, we didn't cover, was verse 25. After he, this guy, his relative confidence that he's going to remain, he says, I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the Lord. It's like, if I'm going to stay, if I'm going to live, then it's not to wallow in the Dead Sea or take a ship to Tahiti. It's not that anything's wrong with either of those things. But... My life is going to be about building up the people that Jesus gave his life for and seeing their faith grow, seeing their joy grow. That's part of what it means to be a person who is living for Christ. And that's where all of us should be. And if we're not, it's something that I believe if we're praying for and seeking and together praying and seeking, then I believe the Lord will move us down that path so that we can truly emulate Paul. It's like, Life is about Jesus. That's, that's what it's about. Like, when I think of Paul, I think of a, he's like, like, like a one-trick pony. <laughs> right? It's just about one thing. It's pretty simple. If you want to boil down my life, it's about one name. That's it. Think of it like this. I'll finish with this. Think of your life. Um, think of the Christian life a little. Maybe like a hat. There's different reasons why people wear hats. Some are functional and some are um, for sake of identification. For me, most of the time I wear hats uh, functionally because I have nothing between my scalp and the, and the sun. 
but air. So I have to wear hats as a, for, as a functional necessity. But I also wear hats that kind of fit in with where, I, where I'm at. So if we're out on the golf course, I wear a Titleist hat. Not because I'm good at golf, because I'm horrible at golf. It just kind of makes me look like I might be a good golfer to someone who hasn't seen me play. <laughs> Dean knows this. <laughs> but I wear the Titleist hat. If I, if I'm a, when I go camping, I wear a, another hat my daughter gave me at Christmas. It has a four-letter word on it, and it's not a bad word. It's Ford. Hey, she gave it to me. You know, it's kind of a thing. A little Ford commercial there. When I'm working in my garage, either on a car or working on some construction project, you'll see me with a beanie on. And there's a reason for that, too. Because I've learned my lesson that if I don't have one on and I bump my head on something metal, again, nothing between me, my scalp, and that piece of metal, but just my scalp. So I end up with cuts and scabs. and So I wear, I wear a beanie, very functional. They also identify us. Police officers used to wear, and some still do, wear hats. That's so that we know that's a police officer. Uh, you see a guy with a big white poofy hat, you know, that's a chef. You see a guy with a big long white hat with a pyramid at the top, who's that? That's the Pope. He's somebody important, right? Hats identify. Which is probably why we have adopted wearing hats figuratively. So we'll talk about, well, I'm wearing my father hat now, or I'm wearing my husband hat now, or my wife hat. Or if you're a boss, you walk into the workplace and you're in control, you're the foreman or whoever, your owner, you put on your boss hat and you operate with that hat on. Like that's who you are at that moment. If you're a subordinate, you're an employee, well, you got to walk in and put on your subordinate hat and take orders from somebody else. If you're a police officer, well, you got to put on your police hat, figuratively speaking, and maybe literally speaking, because that's who you are now, and you have to operate with that hat on. We have elder hats, we have deacon hats, and we have friend hats. And you got to know which context to wear which hat, right? Like, the one hat my wife does not want me to wear home is the Pastor Dan hat. Well, let me tell you what I found in the scripture today. She wants me to put on husband hat or friend hat you got to know which hat you're supposed to have on in various contexts. That's just wisdom. Here's the thing. There's one hat that you never take off. you got to super glue that baby to your head, to your scalp. It's never supposed to come off because it identifies you in any and every role you play. And that hat is your Christian hat. Whatever you do, if you're the boss, you can't take off your Christian hat and then act like a jerk. No, you keep your Christian hat on at all times, and you deal with your employees with justice, equity, humility, and kindness, whether you have to fire them or whether you have to give them a raise. That hat never comes off. As you deal with your children, you're not just dealing with them as an angry father. You're dealing with them as a Christian. That hat never comes off. If you're an employee working for an employer and you have your employee hat on, you have a Christian hat on also so that you treat people, your boss, with respect, even if he doesn't deserve it because that's what Jesus would do. You wear that hat all the time, even on vacation, right? Vacation isn't the time to take off your Christian hat and go, I can live like a pagan for a week. No, it's always there. 
and others around you should sense something different about this guy. You know why? Because he has a hat on. Because it's who he really is. It's his identity. He's a Christian. He's a follower of Jesus who is learning what it means to live is Christ. I can't think of a better goal for us for all times, but for this year too, just to live as Christ. And I want to wear the hat all the time. And maybe you don't. Christ is forgiving. He paid for that. But work at keeping that hat on all the time. Your Christ hat is always to be glued to your head. And everything you do and say should be flavored by and colored by what Jesus has done to your life and who he is. So as we make our way through this journey, and some people are going to have detours and cul-de-sacs and circles and disappointments and wonders, bloom where you're planted, make your state, your context fruitful by keeping your hat on at all times. I want to ask you if you would just take a moment um, with the Lord yourself, just in response to this, and just pray in the silence of your own heart, Lord, help me to accept the places you've placed me and help me to leave this Christian hat on at all times so that people might see and hear Christ. Just take a couple of moments and then our worship team will close our service.